If you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to turn with me this morning to the book of Psalms, Psalm 81, Psalm 81. Those of you who know me well probably are not shocked that uh, we are in the Psalter this morning. Now that we've finished, as I said earlier, now that we've finished the book of Philippians, uh, we are going to head into an Old Testament study. It's not going to be the book of Psalms. It will likely be uh, one of the minor prophets. I'm still working out which minor prophet I want to dig into. However, it's, it's summer, and uh, I'm delighted that you all are here this morning, but typically during summer, folks are in and out on vacation and so forth, and so it's hard to have continuity working through a book. And so I thought, at least for the time being, We're going to camp out, pun intended, in the Psalter. As you go camping and as you are in and out, we're going to be in and out of the Psalms. I love the Psalms. That's no surprise uh, to you who know me. The Psalms are the ancient hymn book of God's people. The Psalms are full of beautiful imagery, raw emotion, and honesty All of that coming together in ancient poetry to not just help us see things, but to help us feel things. To help us feel ourselves and our emotions, God's majesty and characters. And and, and like the hymns that we return to and have sung for years and years, hymns that have been sung for generations upon generations, the Psalms, as God's hymn book, are Hymns are songs that we return to over and over again to hear and meditate upon truths that we need to hear and meditate upon that we forget so easily. And so if you are here this morning and you haven't spent a lot of time in the Psalms, in the Psalter, I encourage you to do so. And in fact, as I said Pastor Austin has written a great article in our newsletter about using the Psalms to help you pray. It's a great way to dive in to the Psalter. And so for the next, I don't know how many weeks, for the next few weeks at least, we're going to spend some time in the Psalter. And we're going to look at Psalms that we haven't looked at before. There's 150 of them. I haven't preached anywhere close to that, so we've got plenty of space, plenty of room to explore. Uh, But today I found myself drawn to Psalm 81, a psalm that we've never looked at together here at Ascension. Before I read it, I want to give us a little bit of background about what it is that you're hearing. And a lot of this is bound up in the title that you see there in your Bibles to the choir master according to the Gittith of Asaph. Let me just say four brief things about this psalm before I read it. One is this is a prophetic hymn. It's a prophetic hymn. The genre of the Psalms, what kind of literature, what kind of poetry it is, is always important. This is a prophetic hymn. It's prophetic not in the sense that it's forthtelling or speaking about what is the future. It's prophetic in the sense of an Old Testament prophet, meaning the psalm writer is challenging God's people to covenant faithfulness. Right At the center of the Scriptures, at the center of our understanding of God's relationship with us, is this idea of covenant. Our God is a covenant-making 
and a covenant-keeping God. He has condescended to a people and entered willingly into relationship with those people. In the Old Testament, it was the Hebrews, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In the New Covenant, the seed of Abraham includes all of us, all who look in faith to the Lord Jesus, the faithful one. And so this psalm then is about that relationship, or more specifically about the failure in that relationship, a failure not of Yahweh, the one who entered in and established the covenant relationship, but the failure of his people who have responded to that relationship. So it's a prophetic hymn. It was written by Asaph. We don't know much about Asaph other than the fact that he was a Levite who was appointed to minister in the house of the Lord. Eleven other psalms bear his name. Number three, it's a song for a specific occasion. We can deduce what that occasion is through actually in the psalm itself where it talks about the new moon and the full moon and the timing of those things we can deduce that this is a psalm that was written for the Feast of Tabernacles, also called the Feast of Booths. This is one of three annual feasts of Israel, and it was the one that specifically commemorated their wilderness wandering as they journeyed through the wilderness, having been rescued from Egypt near the beginning of their history. And so God in the Feast of Tabernacles, is inviting his people to remember what it was like to wander, to live in tents, to live in tabernacles. And lastly, this is a song according to the Gittith that says, we honestly don't know what that means. It's likely either an instrument or probably a tune or maybe some other musical term that has to do with tempo or something else. But those are the four kind of introductory things about the background of the psalm. But now let's set our hearts on this psalm for a few minutes. Out of honor of God's word, if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word. Psalm 81, we're going to read the whole psalm, which is not long, verses 1 through 16. Listen as I read. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song. Sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our feast day. For it is a statute for Israel, a rule of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. I hear a language I had not known. I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. 
But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me. That Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward Him and their fate would last forever. But He would feed you with the finest of the wheat and with honey from the rock I would satisfy you. Amen. This is the Word of the Lord. Go ahead and be seated. I actually want to begin our brief meditation on this psalm at the center of the psalm. If you have your Bibles with you, look with me at verse 10 where the Lord says this, Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. What is the picture that comes to your mind's eye as you think about that phrase? I suspect I'm not alone in thinking about my toddlers strapped in their high chairs, joyfully dependent, cared for, protected, and loved with their mouths wide open in hunger and in anticipation at what mom or dad is going to feed them. And did I as a father want to nourish them, giving them what they needed? Of course I did. Did I delight Did I delight when they wanted more of the deliciousness of whatever they were really enjoying? Absolutely. Did I enjoy it when they shut their mouths in defiance and rebellion? Or worse yet, when they spit back at me that which I have put in their mouths for their nourishment? No way. You see, one of the primary things that I want us to gain from this psalm today for us to see, for us to be reminded of as the people of God, is the heart of God for His people. The heart of God for His people. The God of the Bible, the God that we've gathered to worship this morning is the Creator and the Sustainer. He is holy and majestic. Yes, He is the one worthy of all praise, worthy of all obedience, no questions asked. But He is also Yahweh. Your God. My God. The one who has entered into covenant relationship with you and I through His Son, Jesus the Christ. And because of this fact, brothers and sisters, He longs for you. As a father and mother long to feed and to nourish and to bring delight to their children, to be loved by them and to be part of their lives, this is God. This is the Lord. And that longing of the Lord doesn't come from incompleteness in Him or need in Him, not from weakness, but from want. From genuine love and from desire. Ultimately, if we really want to get into the theological weeds, I've talked about it before, it comes from the overflow of the love of the Trinity and the communion that they've enjoyed in eternity past. Listen again to verse 13. Oh, that my people would listen to my voice. 
Again, that's not a phrase of desperation. That's a phrase of longing. So hear this. Even if you tune me out for the rest of the time, get this. God's heart is for you. And God longs to fill you. Young people, God's heart is for you. He longs to fill you. You see, I think we need to see that, especially as we are challenged by our needed response, because at the end of the day, we don't, we don't need to respond simply from duty or simply from obligation, but having been gripped by grace, having been fueled by His love. And so real briefly, two kinds of living that this psalm calls us to. And then we're going to follow it with the result of that kind of life. Two kinds of living. The first point is this. This psalm calls us to a rhythm of remembrance. I'm a guy who likes phrases. I'm a guy who deals with words. And that phrase kind of sticks in your head. A rhythm of remembrance. We've talked about remembering before. Remembering is all throughout the Bible. It's littered over the pages of Scripture. It's all throughout the Psalms. It's called remember because we're a forgetful people. But this is more than simple nostalgia. This is worship. right? That's how the Psalm begins. That's how the Psalm begins. Verse 1, sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy. It begins with a call to corporate worship. While there is a time to be still, it's not now. Now's the time to rejoice, to be loud, to shout, tambourine, harp, and trumpet. This is not the brass trumpet that we're used to. This is the the ancient shofar, the, the ram's horn that was blown when Jericho's walls fell. They all come together, these instruments, to accompany our voices as we shout to the God of Israel, the God of Jacob, this covenant making and covenant keeping God. And so worship, brothers and sisters, what we do this morning, it's about remembering. It's about the stirring of our hearts to piety. And so it's good that you're here. One day in seven, the first day of the week, we gather together to remember. Through our singing, through our storytelling, through His Word, we remember who He is. We remember what He's done and what He he has promised to do. With gratitude in our hearts, we seek to give Him the praise that our God alone deserves. He is in this place right now. God calls His people to this from the very beginning. Verse 4, it's a statute, He says. It's a statute, a rule, a decree to remember His rescue. Because as God's ancient people, the people of Israel sang this, there was a time in their history when the making of bricks under the watchful eye of the Egyptians was their existence. And their shoulders were burdened and their hands were in bondage and so they cried out. And verse 7 is a summary of what happened over the next few years. Look at it with me. I delivered, the Lord says. This is what He told Moses in Exodus 3. I have surely seen the affliction of My people. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land flowing with milk and honey. 
I answered, verse 7, I answered in the thunder. We read in Exodus 19, on the morning of the third day there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. And then verse 7, he says, I tested you. Exodus 17, behold, I will stand before you there at the rock of Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of all the elders and he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel. I did these things, says the Lord. Remember these things, says the Lord. And yet so easily and so quickly you run and chase after other gods. And this is why a rhythm of remembrance is so crucial. Because brothers and sisters, you and I are no different. Mark 8, a story of Jesus' disciples is a great example. Mark 8, Jesus feeds 4,000 people in the middle of nowhere with necks to nothing. Do you remember this story? They all ate and it says that they were satisfied And then two paragraphs later, on the same day, the same disciples who fed that meal on the hillside to 4,000 people out of nothing, they're in the boat and they're out of bread and they're panicking. And Jesus says to them, having eyes do you not see? Having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? No, we don't remember. No, we don't give thanks. Instead, we forget and we panic and then we fill ourselves with junk. Golden calves and temple goddesses are not our problem. But money and success and power and pleasure and control and sex and even a desire to be loved are. And Yahweh says to His people, I am your God. Don't go there. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Give up the idols of your heart and look to me. And this song that Asaph has written for God's people for the Feast of Tabernacles, it's a rhythm of remembrance that helps us. And so my first encouragement to you is really simple. Stay committed to this corporate act. Soak up all that's here and build in your own individual lives rhythms of remembrance as well in your families when you're alone. A rhythm of remembrance. But there's another significant theme that's found in this psalm and it's this, a life of listening. A life of listening. I confess my family gets on me sometimes that I can be a poor listener at times. It's not from poor hearing. It's not from apathy, I promise. It's the result of the reality that I can only focus on one thing at one time. So if I get asked a question when the NBA finals are on, I'm not going to hear it. There was no missing the voice of God. It bellowed in thunder and awe, and there is still no missing the voice of God. He speaks in all that is. In all that we see and hear and taste and touch, but most specifically, in what we read here, week in and week out, in what we sing together. 
God's people had seen, they experienced his goodness, and yet his words, they fell on deaf ears, and stubborn hearts drove them to their own counsels. And so the Lord pleads with his people to repent and to return, to remember, and to rejoice. And so more than just hearing God's word, we've got to be listeners. We've got to respond to God's word. Because every day, you and I believe the lie that we know better. We believe the lie, either consciously or subconsciously, that His heart is not for us. It's a thing called sin. That's what all of our decision to sin is. We take, we try to control, we indulge, we ignore. Because we haven't listened. We think we know better. We think His heart is not for us. Our remembering must be accompanied by listening. His Word must find root in our hearts that it might bear fruit in our lives. Paul commended the believers in Thessalonica for this. He said, we thank God constantly that when you receive the Word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but as what truly is the Word of God which is at work in you believers. And so a life of listening, brothers and sisters, is what we need to strive for, what this psalm reminds us to do. Listening fueled by remembering, fueled by worship, fueled by God's heart for us. David, the psalm writer, the shepherd boy who became king, he recognized something of this. In Psalm 119, verse 32, he says, I will run in the way of your commandments, for you have set my heart free. Psalm 119, verse 45, I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. And those two phrases, a free heart and a wide place, they lead us to the result of these things. If we're going to be a people about committing to a rhythm of remembrance and a life of listening, then what is that going to equal? It's going to equal life abundant. Life abundant. Hear Jesus' words to his followers in John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now that doesn't mean that health and wealth are promised to you as some say that it does. It's not what the psalm is saying. That's not what life abundant is. But our psalm does say this, verse 14. It says that our enemies will be subdued. Certainly Israel had the experience of God fighting for them on the battlefield. For us, we're not talking about literal war. right? It doesn't mean that the Ukrainian Christians can be assured that they're going to win this war against Russia the aggressor. But it does mean this in Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently said, and then here the writer of the Hebrews is quoting the Psalter, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What can man do to me? It's a rhetorical question, but the answer is nothing. Nothing ultimately. The victory is won. The outcome is secure. And that changes how we view our enemies, how we view our present 
battles. And so life abundant includes subdued enemies, but it also includes, verse 16, satisfied hunger. And this is actually one of the phrases that, that drew me to this psalm, is that beautiful phrase, honey from the rock. Again, the Lord gave His people tangible provision and the promise of more in the promised land. Right? Not just, you can, you can see here, not just manna in the wilderness, but the finest of wheat. Not just water from a rock, but honey from a rock. We know and we recognize, we pray, give us this day our daily bread. We recognize with thanksgiving that all things come from the giver of good gifts. But this reminds us to not look elsewhere for our satisfaction. And ultimately, it points us to God Himself, to Jesus Himself, the bread that quenches hunger forever, the water that lives and satisfies. What did Paul say to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 10? And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. The message of this psalm is in the wilderness of our lives, brothers and sisters, the Lord offers sweetness. He offers satisfaction. The sweetness of His presence and the promise of more to come. Do you believe this? Can you live in light of this? If so, as you go from this place, don't just forget it. Don't just forget what we've sung, what you've heard, what's been spoken of. The rhythm of remembering is intended to, to linger a bit as the taste of the bread and the, the wine and the juice will linger a bit until you cover it up with something else. So what goes on here this morning needs to linger in your soul. Keep remembering, keep listening, keep abiding in the life of Jesus. Let the sweetness of the Gospel and of Jesus Himself woo you. Open your mouth wide and He will satisfy. This is life and life abundant. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, I thank You for the imagery and the picture that You give us from Psalm 81. A psalm that was sung in a very particular context and yet one that has such a broad appeal and such a broad meaning for us as God's people thousands of years later and yet feeling at times that we're in the wilderness, feeling the pull of our own hearts and souls to that which doesn't satisfy and yet we believe the lie that it does. Oh Father, fill us. Give us grace to listen and give us life, life abundant in your Son the Lord Jesus. Oh, Father, thank You for these truths. Plant them deep in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.